welcome to the Anxious in Austin podcast. Yeah, welcome. I'm Dr. Marianne Stout of the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. And I'm Dr. Thomas Smithyman. Yeah. Uh, author of... Author. Great author. Of uh, Dating Without Fear, Overcome Social Anxiety and Connect. I think that's now my... That must be my core line. Your tagline. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying... Dr. Thomas Smithyman of Nowhere. Yeah, no, now it's somewhere. Now you're everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere books are sold. Barely, yes. Amazon. Amazon can reach. Um, Which is the impetus for our topic today, right? Um, Talking about like vulnerability and such, but specifically the imposter syndrome. Um, And... Do we want to talk about like what imposter syndrome is and why we came to this topic? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like imposter syndrome is one of those things that's like, it's not a, it's not a DSM a diagnosis. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's interesting, right? Because the, the academics call it imposter phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? But then everyone who's not an academic calls it imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm probably going to call it imposter syndrome because yes. that's what everyone calls it. Because yeah. academics are like, you know, jargon focused. Uh-huh. They care about that. Um, yeah. And they're probably like, well, technically it's not a syndrome because yes, there are seven characteristics and whatever. So mm-hmm. talking about imposter syndrome. So um, I'm sure there's different definitions, right? Like, I think of it as, not surprisingly, a social anxiety-related phenomenon, a type of social anxiety. But it's, I think, basically, it's like uh, experiencing some self-doubt about your um, capacities, mm-hmm. normally in like kind of a work setting, yeah. but with the fear of being found out. Mm-hmm. So this this idea of I am not good enough in this context for some reason people haven't discovered that yet. I fooled people into believing that I am yeah. what they think I am. Well, I am what these degrees say or what this position title yeah. says, and mm-hmm. if only they knew that's not actually who I am and what I can do. Exactly. Yeah, I fooled people into thinking like I'm not good enough, but I fooled people into thinking that or they mistakenly believe I am good enough but what if they find out who I really am and then I'm rejected and judged and punished right pretty you know if we're thinking in social anxiety terms what is what social anxiety I'm not good enough I'm flawed and I'm trying to hide that from people because if, if if they'll judge me, if, they, if my flaw is revealed, they'll be really harsh and judge me and I won't be able to tolerate it. So what do you think? Does it? Can you see why I, I perceive this as a yeah. type of social anxiety? Mm-hmm. A um, genre or, yeah, subset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sorry, I always look at like what the research stuff says, but I, yeah. Yeah, please, one article, please. Um, Imposter syndrome is a condition that describes high-achieving individuals who, despite their objective successes, fail to internalize their accomplishments 
and have persistent self-doubt and fear of being exposed as a fraud or imposter. Um, yeah, sounds pretty much exactly what you just said. Sounds pretty similar, right? Mm -hmm. They don't mention the word social anxiety anywhere, yeah. but I think it fits within the model pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and some of the research that I was looking at talked about how originally this was primarily like a women in work area of research that um, I think especially as like women were newer to the workforce, women, professional women described this a lot. I think the term was first coined from a paper, I think it was 1978. Ooh. This is the one, the one about women in the workplace. I was just very aware of them, you know, sort of emphasizing, oh, women in, who are in the workforce are experiencing this. And I was thinking, oh, I'm surprised that it's... Um, being discussed as though it's a gendered issue. And then I realized the paper was from 1978. So. Yes. And the research I looked at said like, now there's not so much like gender difference, but it does come up more with like uh, racial minorities. Um, and so it does right. Like kind of in this idea that I don't fit in, in some yes. way, right? Yeah. Like there, mm -hmm. I, I'm not I don't belong. one of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense that it does. whoever would be like the newer group to something is going to feel a little like, like the outsider. I have this with clients all the time. Um, I think of this one client that I have who is professionally very talented. Um, and when she and I were working together, when she first started in her career, so much of this imposter syndrome came out. Um, but it was really just because she was new, right? Like, I don't mm -hmm. fit in um, because I'm the new guy, right? Like, of yeah. course I don't fit in. Everybody else here seems like they know what they're doing and seems like they know the culture. They've been doing this for a long time. Yes. Everyone knows them. They're already accepted. They're integrated. Mm -hmm. They belong. I feel mm -hmm. like I don't belong, right? Yeah, because I don't know, like, yeah, what everybody's role is and, mm -hmm. you know, how all the processes work and everything like that. And so, yes, that, like, went away that is not something we ever talk about these days many years later at her with her at this career than like because it's not I'm not the new guy anymore now she's like middle management <laughs> yeah she's she's habituated to mm -hmm. the role it's it's gone from seeming really new to seeming mm -hmm. comfortable um and probably belongs more yeah so she's not yeah. like the outsider sure um, it, well, I did find, this is totally like a side note, um, a lot of this research is uh, Kevin Coakley. I did not realize that he is the wife of my graduate advisor, or the husband of my graduate advisor. He oh. was um, one of my professors in my program at UT. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, how interesting. I had no idea that's what he did tons of his research on. Yeah, <laughs> like, as, in, as in like going back to the 70s or is this like no, more recent? No, he does a lot on the um, racial minorities in mm -hmm. uh, the professional world and in like doctoral programs and, you know, yeah. academia, things like that. So he yeah, looks yeah, yeah. more on that piece of it. Uh -huh. um, so it's like, oh, this name. And so a lot of that now talks about, you know, the race piece more than the gender piece. And so that's mm -hmm. where I saw a lot of his name come yeah. up in it. So, Yeah. Pretty interesting. Um, I yeah. did think too, it was interesting that even though it's not really talked about as a syndrome, academically and clinically speaking, there is a lot of like stuff published on how to treat it or what to do for it, even though this isn't oh, technically yeah? considered like a official problem. Interesting. 
Oh, who's, who's, so who's, uh, who's publishing the treatment stuff? Oh, well, this is in the APA and some of the stuff that in one of their journals that they published. It was how to overcome imposter phenomenon. Uh huh. Phenomenon. Good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good academics mm-hmm. using the correct term. Yes. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it, it did not talk about exposure explicitly um, when thinking about, you know, this as like a social anxiety piece, but it did talk about... I am curious, of, yeah. Like self-compassion. Uh-huh, Wonderful. Which comes up everywhere. Of course, right? and it um, should. And some acceptance yeah. work. So uh-huh. thinking about that as like the vulnerability piece of this, I think, mm-hmm. is what a lot of that is getting at, is how to address... Yeah, this feeling that like I am alone and uh-huh. I'm yes. vulnerable to how others would treat me. And so the ways to kind of protect against some of the vulnerability, working on some acceptance and working on some self-compassion. Um, so I was like, when does it not come up? When of does- course. <laughs> of course, right? The research I did was, you know, basically discovering, oh, well, there aren't really treatment, like published treatment articles on this because it's not in the DSM because it's a you know something that's sort of talked about in the public but it's not it's not a DSM diagnosis and mm-hmm. it really was like some of the stuff I saw was more around prevalence or personal experiences um, sure yeah so I'll be curious or to hear about like, that um, disorders that it could exacerbate or create you know like yeah. mental health yeah, 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 depression and such mm-hmm. that that would correlate with it, mm-hmm. but not so much like this on its own. But that is interesting to think of it as like a a specifier, if you will, for social anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I obviously am going to jump quickly to that that definition. Uh, <laughs> surprised other people haven't mentioned that, but um, to me, it lines up pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. It's like on a. Yeah. On a meta level, I didn't answer this yet, but on a meta level, the reason that I had suggested this, because we hadn't done one in a while, and it's normally, well, what's been on your mind? And so for me, it has come up like clinically with people more often. They've been sort of saying, oh, I'm feeling this imposter syndrome. So for a while, I've had this idea of like, oh, I want to um, have some space to kind of dig into what it is and understand what you know people are meaning when they talk about this Hmm. but also on a meta level i'm just putting out this book this like social anxiety book which is me saying hey i have all this information that i think is worthy of sharing with the world and there is a there's a lot of that that um is is vulnerable and is like kind of stepping sure. into this new area and so i was aware of it expert mm-hmm. yeah so i was very aware of the whole i mean really the probably a couple of months period leading up to it coming out of like having having that vulnerability and that um that sort of that doubt and that anxiety coming up as part of the process I was going through to the point of where it really did feel like a pretty big exposure process. Sure. Which makes me wonder, like, if 
is this something that authors would talk about like a first book versus a if you did like two or three or different editions right like is that something that shifts with I, your practice right as you i mean i would certainly think new so employee to being a seasoned employee yeah yeah well i mean think about it for for uh for you with us doing these podcasts like does it feel different now than it felt whatever five years ago gosh how long have we been doing this i would just um, i guess five, five years <laughs> i remember I things you I said to me so, so. <laughs> uh-huh I, I just pretend there is no audience so that's how i think i always well. I've gotten through it. Well, if I ever actually think there's a real audience, or if we uh-huh. did any actual like yeah. promotion for promotion this, of any kind. <laughs> well, I will say I can I perceive from the outside because this I think is one of the um, you know having like one of the treatment techniques is having people um, like talking about it with people and having them sort of be compassionate and relieving some of the the fears, right? I certainly can remember um, us being more concerned and, um, you know, around creating a podcast then compared to now. I mean, it dropped off at some point, right? We just got used to doing it. Sure, which is like a little bit interesting in the sense that compared to how many people actually listened to this when we first started versus how many people now, right? Mm-hmm. Like the inverse of how anxious you are. Yeah. <laughs> less anxious now. Right. Even way more people have listened totally. to this. Totally. Totally. And compared to the beginning, much more anxious and way fewer people listening. <laughs> definitely. And, and I, I'm not sure there's been any increase in competence on our part. We've just been, we've just been <laughs> doing exposures, right? It, it's not it's not like we've suddenly yes. become really professional at you know doing podcasts so it's not about competence our skills haven't suddenly got not suddenly professional presenters but yeah mm-hmm. we're habituated to it nothing went wrong mm-hmm I think also there is that piece of the Yerkes Dodson curve right of working to not put lots of pressure on ourselves to keep our sure sure we we also know how to how, how to make it <laughs> i mean and on like a social anxiety level right i i, I think that's a lot of like i try to embody what i am telling people to do right and so being authentic and accepting imperfections and flaws and choosing to present kind of the true self without being too protected like that's what I'm trying to get people to do. So I also try to embody that. So when we do our podcast, it's it's authentically kind of us. You know, our 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 model we had at the very beginning. You remember uh, how we set that up? Yes, act like we're having a meeting at a coffee shop and talking about something we're interested in. Yes, exactly. The anyone who listens to this, people who happen to over here to psychologists talking about a topic they find interesting. Which I use that all the time and thinking about like, what's my goal? How do I want to present? Yeah. What am I working toward? Mm-hmm. Helps me to go for that like B plus, not A plus. <laughs> well, B, B plus, some high standards there. 
<laughs> I guess for a you know a, a high achieving perfectionist coming down from an A plus to a B plus is pretty good. That is pretty good. That is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for for me the 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 book is the book process is very much like this is partly why I was like I should really at some point dig into this because I have certainly been going through the process of like kind of facing well, facing this. I am just curious. Tell me if this is not okay. But for people listening to this podcast who don't know, do you want to tell them a little bit about the book and the process of it? I mean, yeah. I mean, the the book's called um, Dating Without Fear. Subtitle: Overcome Social Anxiety and Connect. So it's a social anxiety book, but it's again social anxiety, but set in the sub area of specifically dating. So it's 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 improving and overcoming your social anxiety um, related to people who really feel it in romantic settings. So, um, but that's what the book's about. And for me, this process like is, um, I mean, like it takes forever, it takes years, but um, I think where the, the, like that imposter part comes up is like, I've, you know, I've been obsessed with working on, you know, figuring out social anxiety and treating it for like 20 years. Like reading these articles for you know, I mean, decades now, and specialising in this and treating people. Um, so I'm like comfortable with all that, with the topic area, and I'm very comfortable and excited to treat people with this, and you know, doing it for a long, long time. But there's something different between that, and then this kind of putting yourself out there experience of like. I put all this into a book and I'm like just putting it out into the world. Something feels really different about that. Yeah. I do wonder though, does it feel kind of similar to when you started out as a therapist working on this stuff? Right? Like. Oh, totally. Yeah. That same piece of, right, I'm supposed to be this expert with this degree and this mm -hmm. knowledge base and helping you. Yeah. And I'm acting like I know all these things, what if you find out that I, yeah, I'm not perfect? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very similar. And, you know. Just on a different scale, right? Of exactly, yeah. One yeah, I mean, it's, time. well, I mean, it's not just that. I think, I think this is an important point, too. It's part of, it's this natural part of the journey, right? So first, showing up in, like, grad school, oh, am I good enough to be here? Should I be here? Does everyone else know more than me? then you have your first practicum where you have to go and treat people without knowing anything. You're like a grad student who doesn't know a damn thing, right? <laughs> and then you have to go through that, but that's, you got to go through that process to like learn and you are going in as somebody who's like well-intentioned, doesn't know anything. Sure. And then, you know, the next level up doing like sort of internship you know, residency experiences where you're suddenly full-time and then, you know, I feel like there's this whole journey each time that you move into this new area where you haven't been doing it for a long time. You have this self-doubt come up, the self-doubt and this mm -hmm. fear that you're not good enough and that 
that will be revealed. So Mm -hmm. to me, it feels like it's this part of this natural part of this journey where you are going somewhere and growing. Mm -hmm. You could avoid that by just stopping. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm good here. I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to stop growing and stop moving. But I think if we live that way, we get pretty bored and unhappy. Yeah. I think that was the impetus for this very podcast. Right? Of like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm. Pretty comfortable with what we're doing. What's a way we could... Yeah, kind of stretch a bit. Yeah. Try something new. Yeah. And I feel like this gets at the the values piece too of of like treating imposter syndrome is the defense, the threat, the safety behavior is don't do things. Mm-hmm. S- stay. Don't don't move. Avoid. But mm-hmm. there's this part of you in, be safe. Yeah, be safe. There's a part of you inside that really wants to grow. And so like when I deal with this um with people in therapy. I find myself very often asking that question, being like, yeah, it is it's scary and uncomfortable to move into this new position or to do this mm-hmm. new task or try to learn this new skill. Mm-hmm. Um, let's accept that's there. It's understandable that it's there. It's probably not super, it's not part of the most accurate perspective of it, but the emotional part of you is activated because you are doing this. Is it worth it in order to move in this direction? Or do you want to stop? Basically, do you still want to do it even though you're going to feel this? Is it important enough to you? Why not just stop? Yeah, tolerating discomfort yeah. in the service of your values. Yeah. yeah, and there's always people like, well, no, like I really want to do this because another part of me really cares about these things and wants to grow and is unhappy but willing to tolerate discomfort, doubt, anxiety. Yeah, and I think there are different personalities and different people who have are more willing to tolerate that discomfort because that drive is so high or that, you know, desire for growth and change and new is is really there versus others who are like, hmm, no thank you. Yeah. Probably not the ones coming to see us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think that anybody that comes to see us is somebody with a, you know, maybe an unusual amount of courage. Oh, sure. Because they're the ones yeah. who, instead of saying, I don't like it and I'm not interested, I'm just not into that thing. They're the ones who are like, I do want this, I do care, and I feel all this pain. They're the ones who are mm-hmm. taking the risk of trying to go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really value. Can this pain be a little more tolerable? Yeah, because it's so big. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can I do something to to help get there? Yeah. I uh, personally, I hate change. I hate it so much. <laughs> but I have a lot of drive and interest, so yeah. I have that. Yeah. Yeah. That, those butt heads all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and I I I mean I'm the same way, right? I. I get really excited by things. I I love learning. I love growing. And I don't want to fail. I don't want to screw up. I don't want, you know, people to dislike things. So these these different parts of me um, clash. Mm -hmm. So what, yes, 
I mean, maybe I know the answer from what you just said, but what helped you to tolerate the discomfort of this imposter syndrome? And maybe right on like a wider scale than therapy, which is very, you know, one-on-one. Like mm-hmm. if I crash and burn, one person's going to know. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone. Well, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think the... That, okay, so there's multiple things, and I think this is, um, like, I will do for myself the same things I ask other people to do if they're working with me. So I was aware of this, the emotional, anxious part of me being activated. You know, I've been wanting to write this book. I've been writing it you know, for, like, 15 years, you know. But getting towards publishing it, this, that part was very active. I've been very much putting off the following through and publishing. Um, so I was very aware of like, okay, this part of me is activated. The, ang- the anxious, the emotional um, part of me is activated. That's, I'm in touch with the other part that, that values growth and wants to, really wants to help people, wants to wants to put out something that can be effective for people who are suffering social anxiety and crystallizing all these things that I've sort of learned over those years. So I was aware of the painful part, but, you know, standing more in the adult part of me. Um, And I was aware of, um, you know, being compassionate to my emotional part, what did that part of, like, what was it saying? Because it's not normally accurate, you know, because anxiety is not, not designed to be accurate. Horrible predictor yeah. outcomes. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be accurate. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it exaggerates the likelihood of things going wrong and it catastrophizes it how bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was aware of, like, okay, what is it? I asked, what is it that I'm, that I'm uh, imagining here? What am I afraid of? And it was this idea, you know, like, what am I afraid of and what am I trying to do to prevent that from coming true, All right? Because with imposter syndrome, one of the correlates is burnout because people become perfectionistic hmm. and work way too hard as a way of preventing people from finding out they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, for me, I'm like, well, What's a fear and then what am I, what standards am I putting up to try to prevent the fear from coming true? And so I realized it was this idea of like being discovered as somebody who doesn't know everything and not able to help everyone and like having professional people be like, oh, you're wrong and you secretly, you thought you knew all this, but you're actually, you misinterpreted everything, you got it all wrong. And having people basically be like, this is terrible, this is badly written, or, you know, some mix of you don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and you do it badly. That's a fear. Um, I could imagine, too, like when you're saying the perfectionist piece that, yes, that, oh, I'll put off publishing until I get it a little more perfect. Definitely. Until I have, like, uh-huh. you know, it, more yes, of the answers, little, more of the answers. Another edit, be. another edit. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how many edits I did on this thing. I think I rewrote the thing from scratch like three times. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I did make it better, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, So, 
and then yeah that that's the you know the fear was this like that's the fear like what is the fear the fear is that i'm gonna be everyone's gonna be like you don't know anything you're wrong it's badly done so mm-hmm. the protective stuff that i did the safety behaviors to prevent that were definitely overworking worrying a bunch putting it off writing too many drafts, doing too much research, always feeling like I had to know more and more and more, I had to find more studies, have more experience, see more people, gather more information. This is all a way of preventing um, myself from... It's like me writing my dissertation. <laughs> oh, I, I did the same thing with my dissertation. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's, that's that part of me coming up. So I was aware of this, sort of, you know, able to name it, and I... Okay, that's what I'm afraid of here. And then it was, you know, one, becoming, having the adult part of me, the wise part of me, be like, well, how realistic is this? And what's, what is, like, what is realistic? Because one of the treatment ideas, I, th- I think, is imposter syndrome is all about being inauthentic, right? An imposter is someone who's inauthentic. And so... One of the treatment ideas is to figure out, well, what is this imposter that I'm trying to, that I'm playing and recasting yourself saying, well, I don't, maybe I don't have to be this imposter over here. Like what would be an authentic presentation of myself? An imposter is trying to hide parts of the self, cut off parts of self or present as though you're something different. So what is, what is an authentic one? So for me, it's like, well, Authentically, I'm somebody who knows tons and tons about this, has been working on it forever, but I'm not going to know everything. I'm not, you know, I'm not the researcher who's been publishing for 30 years, Um, but I've been treating it for a long time and consuming it for a long time and working on myself for a long time. And so moving it from I need to be, you know, unrealistic performance standard everyone needs to think that i know everything and that it is helpful to everybody all the time and everyone agrees totally unrealistic and instead kind of recasting well like i do have a lot to share sharing that in a way that i think is fun and accessible of all the things that i've found most important over the years and accepting that um some people are going to be really helped by it. Some people are going to be get something out of it. Some people will probably be like, "Yeah, this is dumb." Sure. This this is exactly like what I talked about in that APA. Oh yeah. I'm talking about like things that can be helpful. Was one was share your failures, right? To have uh-huh. a more realistic. So I'm not this imposter pretending like I know everything, and mm-hmm. um, you know I, ha- I have this front that I'm perfect, like. Being able to say, you know, yes, I've, whatever they're talking about, like for researchers, yes, I've published these results, but there are also all these studies where I didn't get any findings, you know, like being able to Mm -hmm. like have, yes, a more realistic idea of who you are work-wise, since that's what this is focusing on. But Mm -hmm. yeah, to have a more realistic um, presentation of who I am and what I'm, what I'm doing. So I am not presenting myself as the be all end all. Totally. I, I think, I think, yeah, that's so important. Like, so, cause part of it is like I mean, doing that for yourself, I think is right. The most important, um, 
like having your own realistic authentic self that you like I'm going to present this but I tell you what it really helps when other people are lowering those standards for you you know <laughs> like so having someone else sure. who's who's like oh no it doesn't have to be super great like it doesn't have to be perfect you know just get this out get it out and help people that's fine like what what's perfect mm-hmm. right you can have an impact with as much as you know right now or yeah how good your writing is right yes. now what is your goal is your goal yeah to like write this perfect piece of knowledge or is your goal mm-hmm. to like use the knowledge you have to help people yeah yeah right and again that kind of brings you back to the, the goal comes from the value right and the value for me is to was to try to help people with stuff that I thought would be helpful and being willing to tolerate some people probably won't like it and it won't help some people but mm-hmm. that's authentic to me to to do that it's not like my value isn't to be this perfect writer or know everything so yeah the value allowed me to overcome that um and to have this idea like this is realistic and reasonable i'll do my best job with what i know and mm-hmm. some people will benefit some people will think it's boring or something and i can cope with that yeah right? i cope with that daddy says like you cannot cope with that mm-hmm. everybody has to think it's perfect and the best thing ever otherwise you will not be able to yeah. cope with it and like, yeah is that really true yeah totally i cannot cope with yeah the outcome you you can yeah totally yeah and i was gonna say on on the point of having other people kind of help lower it's really good to know people who are authentic and tell you when they make mistakes and Mm -hmm. the things that they're not good at and basically reinforce this idea that we are human and don't have to be perfect at everything good enough can be good enough Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i do feel like you've been helpful with that and other people that I'm sort of friends with professionally. <laughs> Marianne, you are so good at being imperfect. <laughs> Marianne, you really help me feel good about screwing up and uh, not, n- not knowing everything. Thank you. Because your standards are clearly very low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember in grad school, like, you know, early on the, the in the training by the professors and, you know, the, the practicum things, there really was this, like, uh, presentation of, like, we know everything. We have all the answers. There wasn't a whole lot of vulnerability and, like, I really struggled with this and this was a hard thing for me. There was very little of that. So I had this feeling of, like, well, I have to, I'm supposed to know everything. I'm supposed to have all the answers. But I don't because I'm early <laughs> in grad school. Um, and then I had this one... Um, clinical director at a college counseling center who was like, would like, oh, I just got this session. It was really hard. This thing came up. I didn't know what to do with it. And it just, I felt that performance standard come down to like, oh, wait, you're allowed to be human? This is a workplace where you're allowed to be human and not just have all the answers. It won't be a critique for not knowing exactly what to do at all times. And I felt so much better. I mean, we've talked about this, I think even on this podcast, but 
I didn't know that there were counseling psych programs. I only knew of clinical when mm-hmm. I was finishing undergrad. Yeah. And when I started looking into what program I wanted to go into, I just all these clinical programs, it was just the perfectionist upon perfectionist. Yeah. Perfectionist. Yeah. And so then working in clinical or counseling programs, seeing how like they researched things I was actually interested in, had some like jo- social justice events, but also like there was just a little warmer, you know, warmer. there wasn't yeah. this like, posturing, like they actually seemed to be like friends with each other, the professors and things like that. I was like, that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be torturing myself for the next six years. And this is a very relevant like piece of this, I think, is like the context matters, right? Like if you are in mm-hmm. if you are in a context like a, a work culture or whatever, where people are sort of demanding perfection or there are perfectionists or weakness is not tolerated or you know, the you're punished for anything outside of what people want, like there are harsh and toxic workplaces, sure. right? And I gotta, I gotta believe in those situations. The imposter syndrome stuff's far more likely to be escalating. Sure. You put yourself in a situation where people are empathetic, compassionate, and open with each other, then it's gonna be much easier. Yeah, I you feel accepted already. Starting, yeah. Yeah, she's starting an MBA program, and she said, "I just went to the." mixer and half the people there was all just like what position you know basically go over your yeah. your resume uh-huh. with me right she's like it gave me so much anxiety being there yeah. she's like and I really was drawn to talking to the other people who were just friendlier you know and and weren't you know asked me about other interests I had outside of school and yeah. things like that she's like I just was naturally more drawn to that yeah. Like, yes, let's think of like your value for why you're wanting to even do this program you know is it that you're wanting to do it so you can look good, you know, on your CV. Yeah. Are you doing this just so you can brag about this program, or are you doing this, you know, for other reasons? Mm-hmm. And so I think that piece of it, yes, thinking about the value piece, and and then like you also get to choose who you hang out with. <laughs> totally, yeah, and and I, th- I think that that's another sort of intervention piece here is is um like choosing some people who yeah do fit values or make you feel supported um Mm -hmm. if you can especially in the workplace you can find the people who are not triggering that self-doubt the ones who like lower those performance standards and make you feel more acceptable for you to be authentically you right since this is an Mm -hmm. authenticity problem um finding those people like if it's a a peer level great if you can find someone who's a mentor who's above you in the hierarchy and who does that, then that is really, really helpful. Cause I think, mm-hmm. I think being ex- like feeling accepted, feeling like you belong. That's I mean, yeah, really so part of, of the same thing. To like right? that, yeah. Vulnerability. Yeah. Like is my vulnerability rejected or is my vulnerability held and supported? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it seems like that, and can I tolerate if my vulnerability is rejected? Am I able to cope with that? Totally, yeah. Because this is this is the next piece, right? That like you, if you value growth and doing these new challenges, and then you are going to choose to tolerate the discomfort, and you're going to choose that. That means it's exposure. Any mm-hmm. anytime you're not retreating and hiding, you're doing exposure. So you are risking 
um, flawed parts of the self being seen, imperfections being seen. And what happens, like, when that occurs, like, how bad is it? The emotional part of you is probably going to catastrophize and say it's going to be horrible and Mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, anything bad is horrible, horrible rejection and being fired and whatnot. But in reality, if you are not perfect, not great, whatever it is, at the job, you don't live up to this standard you've set. What really does happen, right? I've worked with people a lot on like trying to bring those performance standards down to be more reasonable um, mm-hmm. and sustainable. Like identifying those those cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. Like it says, yeah, this catastrophe is going to come true. It says this awful thing. Like yeah. how realistic is that? Yeah. Like. How often has that actually happened in the past? Totally. How would you cope if that actually came true? Totally. Have you ever dealt with something similar in the past? Yeah. And what happened? Yeah. And like how, basically how bad is it if you do not meet those standards? Because if you don't meet the standards and nothing that terrible happens, then it tells you maybe that's not the real standard. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I like to say with this is if it was true that not being at that perfect level of knowing everything led you to have some terrible consequence, like everyone like being kicked out of the job or something, then consider what work life would be like. You would be spending your time around only people who are amazing at their jobs. So you would have no complaints about any managers or anybody up the hierarchy and the choices they're making. Think about it. Are the people... <laughs> Are the people in your work experience really just super fantastic and everyone who's not super fantastic is just instantly fired? I hear a whole lot of stories going in the other direction of where you have to tolerate people who aren't great but somehow seem to just stick around and stick around and stick around. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a great challenge to that belief. Yeah. What that's saying is, yeah, like you, you could maybe – be good at maybe some performance standards, yeah. not what anxiety is trying to tell you it is. Totally. Like maybe you can be good at some stuff and not so good at other stuff and be fine, you know? Or maybe you can be not even that, not even particularly fine. And it's just <laughs> no one's paying enough attention to you to get There's not a huge, yeah, consequence. Yeah. So I will say a piece of this, you know, again, like social anxiety, a piece of this is also like spotlight effect, right? This feeling like mm. everyone's paying attention to you and they have these high standards of how you must be and if you're not, they're going to really be catching that, oh, he screwed yes. up here, no she did this wrong thing. No one is reading anybody else's book. People are only reading your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like it's re- and, and any like mistake or anything is considered, is really noticed and considered a big deal. Well, maybe it's not, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. you, other people are focused on their own stuff for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to, I will say, uh, for me, probably the hardest part, um, because I'm not having really much of this stuff at this point. Um, like, the book's out. Because you did it. Well, yeah, it's out. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> I was expecting to be, like, really anxious and having all this doubt when it came out. But as soon as it came out, I, like, had none. It was all the lead up 
and anticipatory anxiety, it was all, not the actually yeah it. well and it's, i think it's because i've had to do a series of exposures so the scariest part of this whole process is not it going out to the world the scariest part of the process was when you publish a book you have to send it to people in advance in order to have people read it um to to like give an endorsement or whatever and who do you send it to not like you know the people that can benefit from it but professionals and so that to me was the scariest part it's like i could see that for sure because you know who was on my list of people to send it to you reed wilson who wrote you a blurb you're like so famous now yes (laughs) how did you i meant to ask you that when i saw you last how did you get reed wilson to write you a blurb that's amazing well he's so here's what i like this this is reed wilson who's this wonderful like anxiety um like specialist and he's, he's written like stopping the yeah the noise in your your head and, um so he he's a sort of a big famous guy but what i had to do this is like coming from the the book people um i couldn't i i certainly asked uh dr marianne stout <laughs> and she said yes she said yes and uh, and appeared to like it which made me feel better i will say that did make me feel better because the worst fear was that it was terrible and i didn't realize it and i'd done something horribly wrong so you at least would have told me hey don't put out this thing it's really really terrible so sending it to you was very helpful even though you were gonna you would do it in a nice way but beyond sending it to you which, which was you know uh, you and um, Dr. Diana Damer, who uh, was a men- was my mentor. Um, yeah, same here. So, saying it to you guys first. After that, um, what I was supposed to do was send this this manuscript to the people who were my biggest heroes. So, all the people who I had read all their work and learned these things from and basically all the people that had taught me the most they're the ones i had to send it to so that is that was by far the hardest talk about like imposter mm. syndrome i'm yeah. <laughs> sending these things to the like the giants you know i mean maybe it's even harder than that you did hear back from reed wilson because i could imagine right that they're gonna write back and they're gonna say something yeah terrible versus like like that spotlight effect that like uh-huh like oh another book somebody else wants me to read their book i mean so that i mean that's kind of what happened right like um is he read it and wrote back immediately and like that's said said these wonderful things that i will say relieved a lot of that uh of that self-doubt and distress you know ha- having him endorse it like that um but then the uh the people that i sort of relied on the most in in the book um the one who i the researchers basically um uh i did not hear back from paul gilbert sadly i was gonna say did not hear back from adrian wells these are you know people that really you know i've learned so much from um i'm not surprised because they are like you know constantly publishing but they're also not clinicians so they're not my guess is they're not as interested in you know something that 
somebody who works closely I mean, is doing. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I got to tolerate. Yeah. So I sent it to them. They're like my heroes. You know, you've heard me talk about these people for decades, you know. So I had to send it to them. That was so terrifying. And yeah, and the results, I think this is, this is important to know, right? Um, the fear is they're going to write back and tell you that you're just wrong and terrible. Yeah. And instead... Please don't yeah. talk about me and my Yeah, you totally misinterpreted everything. Instead, yes. what came back was um, like one that was really good. Neutral I, and positive. Yeah. I got a couple who were, um, were like, oh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll read it. Um, but then I never heard back from them. And then a couple who just didn't respond. This is from sort of the big sort of the famous people. Um, and the two who are like, oh, I read it. And um, oh, no, the two, two said, I will read it. I probably should follow up with them. Mm. You know, I've been... Could that be exposure? I think I've been putting that one off. I've been avoiding that. But I should, I should follow up um, with them. Guess what we're going to check in on in our next podcast yeah yeah because like i will say the the, the the anxious emotional part of me is like oh maybe that's this really nice way of telling me they don't like it you know you know like the uh you send someone a, a text to go on a date and they don't respond or maybe it's that you know or the, or the like the oh i have a boyfriend um really really nice way of rejecting but also it could be that these are incredibly busy people so the adult part of me knows that and it's like, yeah, I should probably do that. Exposure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but what I got when I took this, what felt like a, a huge risk, it was so scary to do, is I got nothing bad. No one told me I was terrible. And yeah, nothing bad. That's the, like neutral and positive is what you got. Back. Yeah, I, I, I basically got, amazing. yeah, I got, neut I, got, honestly, I got neutral and like super positive, which is like, I'll take that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, anyways, I had to send, you know, sending out to friends was, was part of the process. Sending out to these, the, the heroes was super, super hard. You know, sending it to family was hard in its own way too. Um, and, then, sure. and then having it go out because it was, you know, it's also pretty revealing about my yeah. experiences, I a lot of vulnerability, you know. Sure. I think there's a lot of vulnerability, which is, I think, also like amazing modeling right for readers and clients mm -hmm. right that piece of it like we're asking for vulnerability from from people to be able to and, and encouraging you know almost demanding vulnerability from people mm -hmm. and so like i mean i talk about this with clients all the time right like i don't want my kids to know that i struggled with this like it's more of a gift or more helpful yeah. to model mm -hmm. struggle and working through struggle than to pretend it's never there and try to avoid Agreed. it. Like, what are you actually teaching people? Agree. Yeah. Piece of it is like, mm -hmm. I don't think Reed Wilson or Adrian Wells or Paul Gilbert are talking that much about their own. I think you. With this. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right, and and that is interesting because that was the other, the other um, sort of self doubt, imposter syndrome kind of fear fear stuff was was around a bad response to me being. Um, so vulnerable but in my values right i really you know i push this like vulnerability and authenticity all books about being authentic and accepting like not trying to hide the flaws and um so 
that was very much exposure to do that. And to your point, a lot of the re- the reviews and things have mentioned that people liked that aspect of it. Well, I think that's a like unique and helpful piece of your book that makes it a little different than other books about anxiety or other self-help books. It makes me think of Brene Brown. I think she does that. I think that's part of what makes her so popular. I'm not going to lie. Um, is I think she's pretty vulnerable in a lot of her work, whereas you think of most researchers as the opposite. Um, and I think she writes a lot about her own struggles, which makes it relatable. And people believe then that, you know, she's writing, if she's doing research on vulnerability but not being vulnerable, it's like, what a hypocrite. And so I think that is a real big piece that people make, make people believe like that this is worthwhile, is that she shows it in her writing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And so like, I guess kind of stepping back this, you know, saying imposter syndrome is about this battle between authenticity versus this, you know, self that you think you should be showing. Um, Like that's, that's behind a lot of this stuff is getting in touch with, well, who, who am I? And what strengths do I have? And what do I value? What do I care about? Why am I doing this? What am I bringing? And that it's okay to not be all things to all people. It's okay to not know everything already. Are you, you know, is the the self you're trying to present, is that based on this idea of you should be someone who's got way more experience than you do? Well, that's not going to work. Like there has to, you have to reconstitute or reconceptualize a, um, a self that's not an imposter that is like capable, like capable, but not perfect. And then embody, embody and stand behind that. You know, this is like having this self-concept clarity of like, this is, this is who I am. Like it's, it is, if you are in the first year on a job, in the job, right. Then what's a, you know, what is reasonable for you? Like what, what kind of self do you want to be in the first year on the job? It's going to look different than 10 years later. The demanding well, your 10 years later, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the difficulties with the imposter syndrome is that comparison piece, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. I'm comparing myself to all these other people who are mm-hmm. whatever. I might be the first year of my job and I'm comparing myself to people who've been here for decades, right? Like, yeah. or I might be, mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm, or I might be, yeah, a grad student and I'm comparing myself to all the other people mm-hmm. in the program, mm-hmm. but I don't really know them very well. So I'm just comparing based on what I do know, what external factors I do know, you mm-hmm. know, I think those pieces of, right, like that comparison is not ever really helpful because <laughs> we're never comparing yeah. ourselves and thinking like, I'm so much better than all these people. I'm only focusing on all these people where I think I'm less than. And I don't yeah, we're cherry picking. Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that piece of right, it's so not helpful. It's so not helpful. And uh, yes, if, if me as like a writer, right? If I were to write a book when I haven't written anything since like my dissertation. I actually had somebody ask me in like the local Austin, one of the local Austin magazines to write something about self-compassion. And I was terrified because I mm-hmm. have not written anything since yeah. you know, 2010. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh-huh. It brought up all that same stuff for sure. But yes, I was like, am I comparing myself as a writer to somebody that this is their profession is their job when that's yeah. not, not going to work. <laughs> so yeah. it's much more helpful to be like, yeah, okay. Who am I? You know, not helpful why, why would I compare myself to other people focus on what yeah. I am good at 
what I do know more about. Yeah, in, in, in the moment, right? Like, what are my strengths in the moment? What are the, the areas that I am struggling in at the moment? And then what are the areas that I'm trying to develop and the directions that I'm growing in? Because that will always be the case. Mm-hmm. You are always going to have the things that are strengths, the things that are difficult, and the areas where you're growing. No matter where you find yourself, you're always going to be growing or else you're just staying still. And I think we, we die once we stop moving and stop growing. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think, too, of like who I find brave and who I admire, right? It's not people who are so safe in, like, I'm only showing my perfect self, right? That's yeah, that's yeah, kind of easy. That's safe. Yeah. I admire people who are, like, willing to try, willing to be courageous. Like, that takes a ton of guts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Um, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read through some of these Quick yeah. Pieces, I Good. Yeah. I was going to say my my psychologist senses are tingling, telling us that we are towards about an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Seven strategies that can help overcoming imposter feelings. The first one it says is learn the facts. Basically, ways of challenging some of that um, cognitive distortions. Uh, share your feelings, right? So to get some, basically have other support people who. Yeah. Support yeah. and validation. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. pretty um, much everyone, well, a lot, a lot of people feel this. Two thirds of people yes. feel some imposter syndrome, exactly. right? So it's normal. Well, and in one other research that I had looked at, that it said there's not a lot of like treatment out there, but one thing that they suggest may be helpful is some group therapy, just to get that very piece of right, like you are not alone, right? Like alone. the common humanity piece, like yeah. I struggle with that. And too. people who you look at new. and think, yeah, you'll look at people and think they have it all together. And then they will admit that they experience self-doubt and fear. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. Because most yes. of us are going through something like this. Common oh, humanity. The, this one. Yes. The, um, celebrate your successes. I love this one too. And I struggle with this as well. And possibly you have with the book. If someone congratulates you, don't move on too fast. Pay attention to how you respond and aim to speak more positively about yourself. So instead of like dismissing it like the compliment or something like oh it was nothing or whatever like just being able to be like yeah I put a lot of work into this thank you you know that that how um you talk about yourself and and congratulate yourself and celebrate your own success with it as opposed to diminishing it right can contribute to that totally yeah it's like that's a hard thing to do when you feel really vulnerable it is and and like this is I mean this is true of this imposter syndrome but also anxiety depression in general is we uh we tend to easily welcome in all the negative information as clear evidence and tells us who we are and the positive stuff we tend to be a little more skeptical and resistant of i call that insecurity guards so security guards are trying to keep out the bad stuff and insecurity guards are trying to keep out the good stuff i love that i'm gonna write that down let go of the perfectionism, uh, focus on progress rather than aiming for perfection, um, releasing yourself from such rigid roles. We talk about that. So cultivate self-compassion. I mean, I'm always mm-hmm. going to scream that from yeah. your tops. Um, sharing your mm-hmm. failures. That's another thing of like, right, uh, that I'm not yeah. perfect. There are things that I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. can reduce yeah. um, those expectations. And then acceptance, right? That I can feel. I think this one is huge. And I, this is a topic I'm coming up with so much lately 
is that I can feel the imposter syndrome and like that and piece yeah. I think is so important. Uh-huh. I can feel this imposter syndrome and publish my book and yeah you know, take it with me right? some of these people yeah it's not that I can only do this once this feeling's gone I can only whatever take the job or whatever once this feeling is gone yeah. or advance or whatever once this feeling is gone like you're never going to move forward and so that like yeah. I can feel this vulnerability mm-hmm. and this imposter syndrome and yeah do these scary things or do these things that I wonderful yeah I, that part. I think there's a lot to talk about there yeah, no, okay, it's been but, coming up a lot. I just love it. Well, I'm curious, Dr. Smithyman, where can people find this excellent new book? Ah, okay. Well, yeah, you can find my book um, on Amazon. Um, it's also, so in paperback, Kindle, it's also up. It's also up in the Audible. In Audible, if you, if you process better or prefer things verbally, I think I'm not supposed to say that yet. There's supposed to be some date. But anyway, it's there. If you come across it, it's So fine. cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Wait, I haven't heard it yet. Did you read it yourself? I, I read it myself, yeah. Yeah, so, so it'll cool. be like sitting there having, you know, 10 hours of therapy with me. <laughs> hearing me say all these things. Um, I personally think, I don't know. I personally like, I like audiobooks because then I can, like, I can listen to them as I walk around or as I'm like, you know, doing stuff around the apartment or whatever. Um, so I, I like that there is a, an audio book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so Audible, Amazon. Um, and I think too, it's like all around the world, right? That's kind of one of the nice things about Amazon. We will talk more about this book in the future. But I want to hear about where listeners can find this uh, compassion article that you were asked to write for uh, the magazine. <laughs> they can't anymore because it was like a February issue. So Did It's I not, not accessible on the, on the on. internet? It was in, our, in uh, the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. It was in our, Diana had it in her office for a long time. Um, and it was online. I don't know how you can find it online. Can, can you read out to us what the title of this article is? Fall in love with yourself this February, an Austin-based psychologist and anxiety specialist gives us lessons on self-kindness and self-love this Valentine's month. I, she, I know the editor, and she knows that I love self-compassion work, so she asked me to Wonderful. write an article for their February issue. If we can find a link, Good luck. I'll, I'll put it in the Good notes. Luck. And I'll definitely have a link to my book in there, too. And Good. thanks for listening. And yeah. do please, please write us reviews and thumbs ups and likes and everything because that that really helps us get this kind of this you know free help out to people that need it thanks again yeah thanks see you next time